0: Welcome to this TOUCH podcast activity, which has been recorded for TOUCH Oncology. This podcast aims to bring you expert insights from a multidisciplinary team on the use of immune checkpoint inhibitors in solid tumours. This activity is funded by an independent medical education grant from MSD. This activity is jointly provided by USF Health and TOUCH IME. In this podcast, a medical oncologist, an oncology nurse, and a clinical oncology pharmacist discuss the approaches for managing immune-related adverse events.
1: Hello, my name is Ken Kato. Uh, I'm a medical oncologist uh, for the GI Cancer. So I'm from the National Cancer Center of Tokyo. Uh, I'm joined uh, today by Ms. Tara Haroi and oncology nurse at the Royal Mazem and ITS Foundation First in Sutton, UK. I am jo- also joined by uh, Alison uh, Palomeo, clinical uh, oncology pharmacist at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon, USA. Uh, in this session, uh, we will consider approaches for management, uh, immune-related advanced events. Uh, so, Tara, uh, could you uh, present your uh, uh, cases? Could you please?
2: Yes, thank you, Professor Um So, my case study refers to a 61-year-old male who had a diagnosis of metastatic head and neck cancer. He was treated with devolumab within a clinical trial and he commenced that in April 2022. Um, He was doing extremely well on therapy in terms of his performance status had improved. It afforded him the ability to go back to work, which he very much enjoyed. And he had really good quality time with his family, managed to go on holidays, etc. This was amplified by a good partial response on a CT scan in July 2022, which just exemplified actually this was a really positive treatment experience for him. However, in August 2022, after six cycles, um, this gentleman was found um, in a routine clinic appointment following blood tests to have um, liver and haematological toxicity. Um, the main issue surrounding that was that he had a grade two ALT increase, which is more than three times the upper limit of normal. And he, although he didn't meet high's law criteria, as per trial protocol, he had to interrupt the treatment to to get this to resolve to grade one or baseline. Um, despite the interruption, unfortunately, um, we interrupted for four days. The, the liver function didn't actually improve and it actually worsened somewhat, um, in that the bilirubin levels began to increase also. So the patient was started on a dose of hundred milligrams of prednisolone along with some Lansoprazole, um, which was for gastric cover given the high dose of, of steroids that the patient was on. Um, Two days post-commencement of this, actually, his ALT had reduced down to grade one, so we were feeling really positive about the improvement that had been made. And we began to titrate down in 25 milligram increments. However, when we did our first increment reduction, and two days after that, we tested his blood, unfortunately, he went back to the grade two ALT, um, which made us feel a little bit despondent actually about what was going on for the patient. So we consulted our MDT colleagues, namely the former f- a hypo- a heptologist um, who recommended the introduction and conversion from oral um, prednisolone to IV methyl prednisolone. And the patient took this for seven days. Again, a noted improvement was seen and they aimed to titrate back to an oral dose of prednisolone along with Lanzoprazole cover. Um, but unfortunately, the patient kept having this seesaw effect in that we could never get them back to a baseline recording. Um, and unfortunately, due to the trial protocol and the length of time that the patient was off therapy, the decision was made a couple of months after to discontinue the patient from the drug, which they were obviously very disappointed about. Um, it was also. To to be noted because of the high dose of steroids that the patient was taking that they also developed um, medication-induced diabetes. So they also developed a subsequent comorbidity along with this. Um, so I think in summary of this case, um, it just demonstrates that actually a patient could be having a really positive response to to therapy, but unfortunately um, the indolent and unknown side effects with immune checkpoint inhibitors that can often just be found by, by routine tested do occur and actually they can be quite difficult to manage even if you've caught them early um so i think actually it it just lends itself to the fact that immune checkpoint inhibitors although they are a brilliant drug and very effective actually the, the side effect profile isn't to be undermined or misunderstood
1: okay yeah. thank you so uh so how do you discuss uh, to uh that uh, to uh, IRAEs so uh, they decided uh, the cases uh, so what kind of the communication with another uh, so so you you mean the hepatologist or uh, so uh, oncologist or another specialist?
2: um so we the the site we were working at wasn't a a general hospital, it was a specialist oncology center. so actually we didn't have readily available resources to assess the patient. So we had to call on our allies from external centers. And um, we contacted the hepatologist because it seemed that despite the standard treatment that namely, works in these settings, i.e. oral prednisolone, oral steroids, actually, when we were trying to titrate that down, it wasn't working for the patient. So we had to seek specialist advice. And that's when they recommended the IV prednisolone. Um, again, for this patient being on a clinical trial, they travelled significant distance to come to the hospital for this treatment and actually attending for metal pred. Um, we had to be with a local hospital to get that done on a daily basis for him. Um, so it's just about having knowledge of your MDT that are in your hospital, but also in the surrounding areas that can support you and the patient to get effective treatment and management as soon as possible to avoid issue escalating beyond beyond
1: what it already is. Yeah, yeah. But I see, I see uh, the co- uh, communication is a very, uh, very very important, I think. So, and so, uh, Doctor allison So, uh if the uh, steroid does not work for uh, the control the uh liver uh, dysfunction by the immune checkpoint inhibitor, how do you use and manage uh, for the patient? The uh. Uh, the liver dysfunction. So, it, 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 is there any other uh, treatment procedure, uh, by another immunosuppressive enzyme?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so generally, just in for immune checkpoint inhibitors in general, we tend to consider someone sort of steroid refractory if they haven't improved on steroids after two to three days. Um. So it sounds like maybe this patient was improving, but then they had sort of a relapse um, in their symptoms. So I don't know if they were quite steroid refractory. But if there was someone who was steroid refractory with liver toxicity, um, when you think of agencies in the steroid refractory setting for immune checkpoint inhibitors and their adverse events, a lot of times the first drugs that come to mind are like infliximab. But it's very important to remember, in liver toxicity specifically, you don't want to use infliximab because it can potentially worsen the liver dysfunction. So specifically for a liver toxicity, you don't want to use infliximab, but you could use some other immune suppressive agents. So things like mycophenolate, even tacrolimus, um, other agents that have immune suppressive properties.
1: OK, thank you. So one more question I have. So uh, if the patients uh, recovered the uh, I mean, uh, IRAs, so uh, during, uh, after the uh, period of misalome, mm-hmm. the temporary, so do you think about the re-challenge uh, the of the inhibitor mean, for the patient, if the patient, uh, the, uh, the tumor, the recovery after the stopping the ICIs. So,
3: yeah, yeah, uh Yeah, it really depends on the situation. So, guidelines definitely have recommendations for when you should permanently stop therapy. Um, so, definitely follow those recommendations. When I say guidelines, I'm generally referring to, like, NCC and ASCO. That's what we use in the United States. There might be other guidelines elsewhere, um, but that's typically what we're using, and certainly follow the package insert as well. One thing I did want to mention, um, just to bring it up, because I, don- I hadn't mentioned it yet, is when you're giving someone long-term steroids like this, like um over at least a month, more than a month, and at least a dose of prednisone 20 milligram equivalents daily, you want to make sure that you are also um, providing them with some sort of PJP or... um Pneumocystis prophylaxis. So that's something else I wanted to mention.
1: Okay. Yeah, uh, it is very, very complicated. So it is a very, very difficult to decide. So, yeah, of course, I think it does depend on the situation and the uh, patient's condition and willingness. So, uh, and uh, if we have uh, another uh, choice, uh, for example, the chemotherapy, so uh, it is better uh, to use. Uh, the chemotherapy, other uh, than the, the, the ICI. So, okay, so uh, thank you for the many helpful information. Uh, it's time to close uh, this conversation. Okay, uh, thank you so much, uh, Tara and Alison. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Touch Podcast. You can access more content on this topic on Touch Oncology at www.touchoncology.com. Don't forget there are three other chapters in this series, so please listen in for further insights from the multidisciplinary team.